we're going to look at three vital areas every believer must grow uh, grow up in as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the virtues of gratitude, which we're going to look at today, the, the virtue of contentment, and the virtue of generosity, okay? Scripture has a lot to say about giving thanks, and we can't even begin to scratch the surface of all that Scripture says concerning gratitude. The apostolic writings are filled with expressions of thanksgiving, of commands to give thanks, to be thankful. If you read through the Psalms, you can't help but see thanksgiving all throughout the literature that the psalmists have presented to us. The Psalms are rich in that language of gratitude. But let's think about our language. Is our language, are our words filled with gratitude? Or are words more filled with complaining and murmuring? How about our conversations? How about the substance and content of our prayer? Is it filled with gratitude or does it resemble something more like grumbling? Well, we have to think about this. We really have to come to the scripture as it concerns this. Considering even our culture, right? We have to resist Right, all the, the critical spirit of our culture of our day, the culture of an entitlement, right? Gratitude is not something that we would consider a virtue of our culture today. A lot of critiquing, a lot of grumbling, a lot of negativity, a lot of murmuring, a lot of complaining, very little gratitude, very few expressions of thanksgiving. But as we turn to God's word today, we will see a summons to in all things at all times life of thankfulness, a life that is to be lived in overflowing gratitude to God. We have much to be thankful for. Amen? I know it doesn't come as easily for us at times, but we have a lot to be thankful for. We have been given so many precious gifts by our Lord and our salvation. Well, we, we began today in our time of corporate prayer with thankfulness. There's there is no end to, like, like, there's not enough daylight for us today to begin to express our thanks to God for all that he is and all that he's done for us and all we have received from him. And I know this is the season of Thanksgiving, and I'm like, okay, it's fitting to do a Thanksgiving sermon, but the reality is Thanksgiving for the believer is not a one-day-of-the-year event, is it? It is a daily reality that we should be focusing on an ongoing and unceasing response to the goodness of God. Now, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. It's, uh, Colossae, it's, it's one of those that is oozing with thanksgiving. Not just Paul's expressions of thanksgiving, though they're there, but also commands for the believer to be thankful and instructions for our thanksgiving. Every chapter of this book, these four chapters, Paul is going to express some theme of gratitude, all right? So we're going to look at those four passages in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. So I'm going to read those four passages together. You ready? All right. Hear the words of the Lord. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 12. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 3, 15 and 7 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And lastly, chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. That's a lot of thanks stuff there, isn't it? Quite a bit, right? So I'm just going to share a few observations from what Paul writes about gratitude, looking at his expressions, looking at his instructions, and first to look at the the character, the nature of gratitude in terms of what Paul writes about gratitude in his letter. First is this, gratitude is to be offered continually. There is a a continual expression of gratitude that should come from the life of the believer. Notice how Paul starts his greeting, his writing to their past, his introductory remarks. He writes, we always thank God. Now, you can find that in most of his letters. We always thank God. It's kind of part of his general introduction, giving thanks to God for the believers, some aspect of their faith, some aspect of their character something that God has done for them or is doing through them, right? Here, he makes note of some characteristics that he is thankful for, their faith, their love for one another, how the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing among him. And from there, he writes one of the most beautiful apostolic prayers in the New Testament. Now, you can find these kind of these kind of comments in some of his letter. You can find it in Romans. You can find it in Corinthians and Philippians and Ephesians, okay, in Philemon, right? He's always giving thanks to God for the believers. Now, if you know a little bit about the letter to the church at Colossae, this is one of Paul's prison letters. That's where he was writing this from. He wasn't in some nice hotel, right? He wasn't at the, you know, at the Grand Regency Hyatt, the Waldorf Astoria writing this right? He's in prison. He's under house arrest. He has some serious charges that he is facing in, and he really doesn't know if he's going to escape prison. He doesn't know if he's going to remain in chains and then be executed to go be with the Lord, or if he's going to be released. So he's writing this letter from prison, not a place of comfort and ease. But while he's imprisoned, what is he doing? Where's his mind? His mind is on these churches. His mind is on these believers, not not on his present situation, not what he's undergoing in the realm of discomfort and suffering and affliction. His mind is on these fledgling churches and what they're going through and his desire to be with them and, and to impart truth to them, to see them be strengthened and edified and grow up and mature 
in Christ Jesus. He longs to be with them. But even in his chains, chains, look at the disposition of his heart. It's thankfulness. He is thanking God for them. He is praying for them. Thanksgiving flows freely from his life because it's not dependent on circumstances. And I'll admit, I'm, I'm one of those sometimes. My thankfulness flows a lot easier when things are going good. It's like I have, my list is endless of things to thank God for, right? Yes, Lord, thank you. But when things are difficult, when times are tough, when the cars break down and bills pile up and there's relational challenges, etc., it's hard to give thanks. Now, we normally begin our prayers giving thanks to God for what? Material blessings, right? Thank God for our health. We thank God, you know, for money in the bank account. We thank God for our employment, or you should thank God for your employment. You may not be happy with your employer, but you should be thankful for employment. We, we thank God for the general well-being, you know, of our family and loved ones. We may thank God for our church, for the, the community of believers, right? We give thanks over our meal, thanking the Lord for his provision, that we have something tasty to eat. Our thankfulness usually is filled with thanking God for material blessings in our life, the material aspects and elements of our life. But what if those things were removed from us? If we didn't have those things, would we be as thankful? Would there be other expressions of thanksgiving that go beyond the material things that we do or do not have in our life? And when we don't have, that's usually when we enter into the realm of grumbling and complaining. I think the greatest example of that we find in the Old Testament with the people of God. After God gloriously delivers them out of Egypt, what do they do? Are they thanking God? Are they worshiping God? Are they happy to be out of that situation? No, they start complaining immediately. Well, we didn't have Coke. We didn't have Twinkies. We don't have those anymore. We had all this good stuff. There was McDonald's. There wasn't Chick-fil-A because this was Egypt, right? It's evil. Something else. It was probably Popeye's or something like that. Lee's famous. No, I can't say Lee. That's, that's pretty good stuff there. They're complaining about what they don't have anymore, what they used to have. Never mind that God just rescued them and delivered them. I mean, he takes them through the water and passing them through the water, and he's taking them through the wilderness and providing for them, and they're like, we don't have water. We're dying of thirst. Any of your kids ever tell you they're dying of thirst? <laughs> if I don't eat something, I'm going to die, you know. And God has Moses, right, strike the rock, and water comes forth from it. And then he provides manna for them every day, fresh bread or whatever that was. Every morning. Without fail, God provided for them. And then they were like, oh, you know what we miss? A nice ribeye steak. <laughs> oh, man, I miss those sirloin tips. I mean, think about that. The ingratitude that flowed from their heart instead of gratitude. Instead of thankfulness to God for what he brought them out of. They were slaves. They were being punished. They were whipped and tortured. <clears throat> Towards the end there, as God is beginning that deliverance, what does, what does Pharaoh have him do? He ups their quota of making bricks, and he says, but you know what? Take the straw away from them. 
to make it even harder for them. They were under horrific conditions, and God rescues them. And there they go, grumbling, complaining, murmuring, complaining about God and what he did or did not do, complaining about the servant of the Lord, Moses, instead of having gratitude. Now, think about it here. Paul didn't have his freedom. He wasn't able to travel to Colossae. His movements were restricted. He had an uncertain future, but that did not inhibit his expression of deep gratitude to God. So he writes in another letter to the Thessalonians there in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All circumstances. Are there any exceptions to that? Are there any circumstances that would exempt us from being thankful and expressing gratitude to God? No, right? It's in all circumstance, every time, and at all time, gratitude that should be expressed to God, right? This is what is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. You want to know the will of God? You want to know the will of God for your life? We're always looking for that. We always want to know that. Isn't that why people run to prophets? Tell me God's will for my life. I'm too busy to seek him for myself. Well, God's word tells us his will. We don't have to guess it. And one of it is what? Give thanks in all circumstances. Good times, not so good times. In health and in sickness. When you have a lot, when you have a little. Next week, we're going to look at that aspect of contentment that flows right in with this. But it's all circumstances, gratitude. This is what differentiates us from those who reject Christ. Romans chapter 1 tells us the the state of those apart from Christ Jesus who suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness, right? They are unwilling to honor God is what Paul writes there. They're unwilling to give thanks to God, their creator. They will not acknowledge him. Ungrateful humanity. But that is not the people of God. We get this. It's the will of God for us to be thankful, and we're going to unpack that a little bit further. The second thing I think we can see from this passage and what he writes there in his opening, I thank God for you always, is that God is the supreme object of our gratitude. Notice here he's not thanking the, the, the believers at Colossae. Who's he thanking? He's thanking God, right? That, his thankfulness isn't expressed to them, but it's directed to God. And we should all have this cultivated habit of saying, thank you. In general, we do, right? Or we should. Saying thank you when someone does something for us or something nice for us or gives something to us or renders a particular service to us, even if we exchange something of equal value for it. Is that not what we teach our kids to do? Say please and thank you. And when they don't, we're going to smack them on the back of the head. To remind them, it's just good manners, isn't it? To say thank you. It's the right thing to do. It's the customary thing to do. When our kids get gifts at Christmas or on their birthday, what do we tell them to do? Hey, say thank you. Write a thank you note. If it came via mail or from your grandparents or distant relatives, right? We teach our kids to do that. We know it's proper and customary. But those thank yous are horizontal in nature, aren't they? This is 
focused on others. And that's well and good. We should do that. But in God's word, gratitude is largely directed to the supreme object of our thankfulness. And that is God himself. That's why in verse 12 of chapter 1, he writes, giving thanks to the Father. In chapter 3, again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Thanks to God, to God, to the Father. Indeed, Paul writes that everything we do, whether in word or deed, is to be done in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Are you getting the picture of what this is talking about? All circumstances, all of life, every day, in every moment, every word, every deed, our lips and our heart should overflow with thanksgiving to God. In word or deed, that covers the whole scope of our day-to-day existence. Each and every moment, each and every situation, circumstance of our life. Doing everything, saying everything in his name. There's a lot of things we don't do or say in his name. But here he's saying, no, everything should be done. Everything should be said in his name as an expression of gratitude to God through Christ. How would that change our life? Every moment, thinking right before we do anything, am I doing this in the name of the Lord? Am I doing this to please him and to honor him? Am I doing this as an expression to gratitude for all that he's done for me, of all who he is, of all that I have in him? Everything, every day, all things. The whole of the Christian life is to be oriented towards God. This we need continual reminders of, right? We are not the center of the universe. Our life isn't even the center of our life. It's God. We're to orbit around Him, pointing everything to Him, giving Him thanks for all things, doing it in His name and for His glory. So this shows us that gratitude or expressions of gratitude to God are not dependent, we know that, not on our circumstances, but guess what? It's also not dependent on our emotions. We don't just give thanks to God when we feel like it. Or if I have, I got to stir up thankfulness in my heart. It shouldn't be that way, should it? If in every word and every action, every deed, every moment should be offered to God in thanksgiving. You better believe there's sometimes we're not going to feel like it. As we said, when things aren't going good, when we're not feeling good, when life is exceedingly difficult, That's when we don't feel like giving thanks, but it's the very moment we must. We must give him thanks because he's deserving it and worthy of it. All of our life is to be lived in gratitude towards God and with thankfulness of heart because of who he is and what we have received from his good hand. Think about that. A heartfelt, sincere, thank you, God, should flow freely and continually from the lips of every believer. I'll confess, it doesn't always. Think about the Godward orientation of the Psalms. I mean, the psalmists, they got this. Everything they wrote about, right? And it's not all rosy picture, is it, in the Psalms, but it was always with an orientation and a focus to God. 
You can't read the Psalms without continually seeing expressions of gratitude to God for his goodness, his steadfast and unfailing love, his compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his deliverance, his protection, his care over his people. His mighty deeds, his glorious acts in creation, his forgiveness. And even when the psalmist was saying things are really, really bad, he goes, but you know what? I hope in you, God. (laughs) Because he knows God is faithful. He knows God is a covenant-keeping God. That orientation was focused on him. All of this gratitude directed to the one who is the supreme object of our thanksgiving and in the psalms it's 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 words it's prayers it's loud singing it's shouts and exclamations of praise sometimes to the accompaniment of music that's what our thanksgiving needs to consist of if we come with hearts like that to the gathering of the saints here this should be loud in here guys we should above all else be singing loud you go to a a concert out there, and people are, my God, they're losing their minds. They're losing their voice, singing the songs. And then here are the people of God. Just kind of watching. That's not a thankful heart. And I'm not saying you can't be thankful in the secret, quiet place of the heart. I'm just saying there's more to that. This gratitude, this thanksgiving is to be expressed. It's a disposition of the heart, but it expresses itself. So it's God-oriented. The last thing here in in the character uh, of gratitude is that it is responsive. We express gratitude as a response of something that's been done for us. When Paul thanks God for the believers at Colossae, he expresses how the Father has made them co-heirs of the glorious inheritance of the saints. How God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of Christ. And how God redeemed them and forgave them and forgave their sins. Why is he saying this? Because a heart that is transformed by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, cannot help but express gratitude. A heart that's been transformed by grace cannot contain expressions of gratitude to God. If you can, I would question whether you really have encountered and experienced grace. Because if you struggle with gratitude to God, it's likely that you have forgotten how great a rescue you have experienced. If it's difficult for you to thank God in the much and in the little, in the good and in the bad, it's perhaps you don't understand the gospel of grace all that well. And you've forgotten how glorious the immense grace has been shown to you in Christ. Because if you do, what is the only response but gratitude? But thanksgiving, an overflowing, abundant, superabundant gratitude. That's why we frequently remind you of the gospel here. It's why our messages are continual reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say it over and over and over again because we tend to forget. We need continual reminders, ongoing reminders of the grace of God because when we're in the thick of things in life, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, we need the gospel of grace. That needs to wash over us. Because when it does, then we can give thanks to God in all circumstances and in all things. How can we not be thankful for the amazing deliverance Christ accomplished for us on our behalf? That's the appropriate response to the gracious gift we have been given in Christ Jesus. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into this responsive gratitude that we need to have to grace. What is the source of our grace? What is the wellspring of gratitude? It is the grace of God. This unceasing wellspring of gratitude in the life of the believer is a response to grace. Why does Paul always exhort with the gospel before he gives commands? At least that's his general pattern. He spends a lot of ink telling them about what God has done for them, about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, of the salvation that they have, of who they are in Christ Jesus, and all of the spiritual benefits of their union with Christ. And then he goes, in light of that, do this. Live this way. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Suffer well. Endure all things. Grow in godliness. Pursue holiness. The instructions they give us here, be thankful in all things. This comes after unpacking the glorious grace of God. It's a response to gratitude. And we hear the commands to be thankful, to express more gratitude, to, to be a more thankful person. And if those commands were divorced from the gospel, how difficult would that be? It, our thanksgiving would be relegated to the good times only. Or maybe here when the church is gathered and we kind of for a moment are lifted out of whatever doldrums we're in out there. But when we understand this, when we get this, when we see this, when we're continually rehearsing the gospel and meditating upon it and thinking about God's grace and, and, and reminding ourselves over this is our response. It's not exhausting. It's liberating, actually. You don't become a more thankful person by trying to drum up feelings of thankfulness. So even though we tell our kids sometimes to, be, to say thank you, do they always mean it from the heart? When we say thank you, do we always mean it from the heart? No, we don't, right? We don't. Saying thank you is expected when someone gives you something, but it's not always heartfelt. Think about this past week. How many thank yous did you receive from servers at restaurants and those folks at the drive through window? Did they say thank you from the heart? Did you say thank you to them from the heart? No, right? It's just what we do, right? It's just what we do. They're not expressing true gratitude from the heart because you exchange your hard-earned money for some greasy burger and fries or shake. They're not thankful that you've chosen to spend your money at their establishment so they could have a continued paycheck after employing some ser- and rendering some service to you. It's not from the heart. We give our kid a toy at Christmas, and they might say thank you, but it's not what they expected, so it really wasn't from the heart. And they don't really think about maybe the sacrifice you had to make to be able to provide something for them or give them something. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about the gifts that we've been given in the Lord and what he's done for us. Otherwise, our thank yous wouldn't just be lip service to God. 
Some of us just say thanks to God because we know it's the right thing to do, but man, our heart is just in a different place. And this is why the ethical instructions on gratitude have to be saturated with the truths of the lavish grace of God. When we get grace, gratitude becomes instinctive. It's just automatic, right? It's just a continual outpouring from our heart. Me telling you to be more thankful, this is not going to make you more thankful people. Me commanding you to be thankful or even hearing the commands of Scripture is not going to make you a more grateful person. But when you focus on the amazing, glorious, immeasurable grace that came to you in the person of Jesus Christ and how he saved you and delivered you and redeemed you and transferred you into his kingdom, well, then you'll be thankful. But you've got to see that first. When you understand grace, when you reflect on grace, no one has to pry gratitude out of you. You don't have to have a cheerleader up front telling you, come on, give thanks to the Lord. You ever been in one of those churches where like the worship leader's got to hype that crowd up, man. We got to make you thankful. Shouldn't you be thankful? Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Should God's people ever be told to do that? Nah. This should just be flowing continually from our hearts, flowing from our lips because we get grace. Thanksgiving is connected to grace. And I want you to see this in our text here uh, because we kind of miss this sometimes in our English translations here. Uh, When he writes there in chapter 2, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, he writes, abounding in thanksgiving. So I want you to see how this is, thanksgiving is semantically connected to grace. Uh, The Greek word for grace, right, in in, in your New Testaments is the word charis. You got to get that little sound in there. I didn't spit on the communion stuff, in case you're wondering. Charis, the word for grace, the undeserved, unmerited favor of God towards us, right? Charis. And then the noun, thanksgiving, there in the Greek is the word Eucharistia, Eucharistia. You see what's in the middle there? Right? The root of that word is charis. It's grace. Thanksgiving is connected to grace. Thanksgiving is a response of grace. It's the act of expressing gratitude or showing appreciation. It's it's the content of our gratitude. It's, It's how it presents itself. Maybe in prayer, maybe in words, maybe in an action or or something we do. But it's the expression as a response of grace. Eucharistia. 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, look at that, as grace extends, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As grace extends, what increases? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. They go hand in hand. You become more thankful by focusing more on the lavish grace of God given you in Christ Jesus than being told to be thankful. Than trying to work yourself up to be thankful. The more you abound in growing in Christ, the more you marvel at Christ, 
being rooted in Christ, maturing in Christ, you will overflow with gratitude. You just can't help it. You can't help it. We see a powerful illustration of this in the story in Luke's gospel of the ten lepers that are healed by Jesus. You recall that story? Read it later in Luke chapter 17. We don't have time to walk through all of that. But think about leprosy there in ancient Bible times. Okay? It was a horrific disease, a disfiguring disease. All right? It was detestable. Those who had leprosy became outcasts. They were considered unclean by the Mosaic law. Children were scared of them. They had, to, they had to not only wear clothes representative that they were lepers so people would not contaminate themselves with them, but they also had to go when anyone approached them or came near them. They had to yell and cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine that existence. Okay? And then we have this telling us here that, that Jesus came into a village as he was passing through Samaria. And these ten lepers come to him and they plead with him to have mercy on them. And Jesus instructs them, he goes, you know what, go present yourself to the priests. And as they go, they're healed. They're healed. Imagine what that represented for them. Like they're they're reestablished into life and community. They'd no longer be a scourge. They no longer would be unclean. They could probably be rejoined to their family members and their loved ones who kind of cast them away. Leprosy was a death sentence. Horrific sores on the skin and the extremities of the body pieces of flesh would eventually rot and fall off and jesus makes them whole well what do we know of that story were they all filled with gratitude did they all respond with thanksgiving to the to the amazing grace and mercy and kindness and compassion shown to them by jesus christ nope only one makes his way back only one out of the ten goes back, falls on his face before Jesus and worships him and praises him and gives him thanks. And I love how the scripture says, oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Reminding, that means a lot, right? The Samaritans were people that were despised by the Jews. They were seen as those outside of God's covenant. They didn't deserve any favor from God or any blessings from God or any of those things. And here, this Samaritan out of the others, that tells me the others were probably Jewish. They were Jews, and they didn't go back. It's like they were entitled to it. We're God's covenant kids. Of course he's supposed to heal us. But this one went back and expressed such deep gratitude. He recognized the immense grace, mercy, and kindness shown to him. Not just in the healing, but the fact that a Jew, Jesus, would be gracious to him. Our thanksgiving is directly proportionate to our recognition of the grace shown to us in Christ Jesus. If you don't recognize that grace, you're not going to be thankful. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't need to save me. He needs to save you. Our disease of sin was worse than the disease of leprosy. Well, that one may kill you in the natural. Our sin sickness is eternally damning. It deformed and disfigured our soul, leaving us dead in our trespass and sins. But God, right, on account of his immeasurable grace 
touched us and healed us, made us whole, cleansed us. So how can we do anything but offer him our sincerest gratitude and thanks? And we recognize what he's done for us. And we need to cultivate this virtue of gratitude in our life. It needs to be just flowing from our lips. And there's a few practices that Paul mentions here in his letter to the Colossians here on, on this practice of gratitude. Again, it's a response to grace. So what, I, what do we encourage you to do? Understand grace more if you don't. Rehearse the grace that has been shown you. But look at these other three practices here that flesh out this overflowing gratitude, this outworking of that grace expressed in thankfulness. Look what he writes in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with what? Thanksgiving, right? Prayer plus Thanksgiving, right? Now, being watchful means that we're to be alert, right? Be vigilant in our prayers. What does he mean by that? Well, it means our prayers must be informed. Our, our prayers need to have instruction. They need to be prayers that are done and and presented in light of the truth of the gospel, in light of the truth of Scripture, what God's Word tells us to pray, and what God's Word has revealed to us. Our prayers aren't things we make up or aren't a whim or what we think to be true. No, our prayers need to be watchful. That's why we encourage you to pray God's Word. You can't go wrong praying God's Word, can you? That's the best prayer list you can have, right? Praying the Word of God. That is being watchful in prayer. When we pray this way, we see things as they truly are. If we're praying God's word, if we understand God's word, if we get the gospel right, right when we're praying, right, we have a biblical view of things. A biblical view of temptation. A biblical view of suffering, of trials, of hardships. Of the condition of our own heart of the sovereignty of God, of the providence of God. Right? That's being watchful in our prayer. We pray with understanding. We pray illuminated by the truths of God's word. But our informed, steadfast praying then needs to be accompanied with thanksgiving. He writes something similar in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Look at that. Every request, every petition should be accompanied with the corresponding expression of thanksgiving. Prayer plus thanksgiving, thankfulness. When we do that, we are praying with this acknowledgement that our loving Father will answer all of our prayers. All of them. Now, is the answer always the way I frame my prayer? No. Our prayers would be perfect if we knew the outcome of all things, right? but we don't. But here's the guarantee we do have, that when we pray according to the will of God, he hears us and he answers those prayers. We have the answer of the things we pray for. And if it's not exactly how we framed our prayer, we can trust that God is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He takes our frail prayers, our weak prayers, 
And the Spirit of God lifts them up and presents them. He intercedes for us. The Spirit of God, who is God and knows the mind of God. And our prayers, when they come before the throne room of grace, are prayed according to the will of God. And He works those things out for our good. Prayer plus thanksgiving. And Paul writes here, don't be anxious about anything, but in every prayer, in everything, every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know what that kind of prayer plus thanksgiving does? It kills anxiety. It kills worry. It deals a death blow to stress in our life. If we're praying this way, right, it's confidence That's why we pray the scriptures, pray the apostolic prayers, pray through the Psalms, right? Pray through the the gospel truths continually. What does it do? It produces peace in our hearts, rest, joy, confidence, and hope. And what does that result in? A greater overflow of thankfulness and gratitude to God. The other practice I want us to look at here is in chapter 2. Six and seven. It's a maturing walk in the Lord. The whole emphasis of Paul's letter is his concern for these believers to be mature in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's what he says in Colossians chapter one. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present them mature in Christ Jesus. He was concerned about their spiritual maturity, their spiritual growth in God. And so we see that in in chapter two, verse six and seven. They had received Christ. They had accepted his teaching. They had believed on him as Lord and Savior. They had believed the gospel. So he tells them, hey, as as you've received him, continue. Keep walking in him. But he doesn't just stop there. Continue walking, he says, but also being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as they were taught. There's two images there, that of being rooted in, and built up, right? One's more like an agricultural metaphor, the other one more of a construction metaphor. Being rooted in Christ. Think of a tree that has deep roots in the ground. Not only will it withstand the storms and, and, and the winds and the strong winds, but if it has deep roots, then it's being nurtured by all that underground water. And that's the imagery here. When we are rooted in Christ Jesus, we're looking to Christ we're trusting in Christ. We believe what he has said. Right? We trust him. We believe the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are rooted, planted in him. That's the first imagery. The other one, the construction, being built up. Right? There's this progressive building up in the life of the believer as you are maturing in him. The more you come to know about him, the more you trust him, right? you're being built up. You're, grow, you're growing up in him. You have a greater understanding. And what does this do? It results in an abounding in thanksgiving, an overflowing of gratitude for Christ. So our maturing in Christ, our growth in Christ should always point us and lead us to more of Christ. More of him, not less of him. Well, it's not like we turn away and go, okay, there's, God, there's something deeper here. Nope. You don't get any deeper than that, right? We're growing up in him. We're rooted down deep in him. So we're being nurtured by him and nourished by him. Robert Murray McShane uh, 
writing in a letter that was written in, in his memoirs, says this, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He writes, He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, he writes. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Look at Christ. Oftentimes, we're not looking at Christ. We're just, we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our situation. We're looking at our pitiful condition. We're looking at that besetting sin that we just can't seem to tackle in our life. Or the problems that are around us. When the secret, which is not really a secret, is to stop looking at yourself and to look to Christ Jesus and what he's done for us. The answer is not within. That's the new age spirituality garbage and lie of this world. There's no answer in you. The answer is outside of you. It's Christ Jesus. That's why we don't focus our growth and our maturing in Christ on our sin management or behavior modification techniques. Those do not work. We focus on Christ. And when we focus on Christ, when we learn more of Christ, when we gaze upon Christ more and more and more and understand what he's done for us, we will overflow with gratitude and do just as Paul writes here, to give thanks to God the Father through him. Are you looking to Christ? Or are you looking at yourself? Is your gaze on the eternal or is your gaze on your temporal circumstances and situations? Or the sin that you feel like you have not conquered just yet? The third practice and last one here I want to look at is participation in corporate worship. Look what he writes in verse 15 and 16, chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Now notice the corporate dimension of what he's writing here. Like we read these things and we, we, we just individualize everything here, but the scope of what he's writing here was to all the believers in the church in the corporate context. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Doing what? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he writes, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice how it's all focused on Christ, isn't it? Right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ rule in your heart, right? Give thanks to God the Father through Christ. It's all focused on Christ. But he's, in the context of that, he's talking about this reciprocal practice that the believers now are exhorted to, to be doing it together. They don't do this by themselves. They're doing this together with one another. Be thankful. Well, we need to be thankful in our individual life for sure, but now he's saying in the corporate context, be thankful, church. Be thankful with the word of God dwelling in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. All of us doing what? 
singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Some of you don't like to sing, but we're commanded to sing as an expression of this work of Christ in the people of God that overflows in gratitude and thanksgiving. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't have the time to go into all of that directly there. But this is why we sing. Why does the church sing? It's not a filler time so that you can saunter in late just in time for the word. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's not just, okay, that's, it's, just, it's the time to kind of get people in from the lobby. You know, they've been talking and fellowshipping. And when they hear music, oh, yeah, yeah, time, the service is starting. Man, we're missing something really powerful here, brothers and sisters. All of God's people should be together singing. There is teaching and admonishing going on in singing. There's the word of God being sung. There's the truth of God being expounded through song. And you're singing to one another. You're encouraging and exhorting one another. As someone who's walking through something difficult sits next to a brother or sister in the Lord and hears the the, the words of Scripture and the truths of the gospel and the truths of what Christ has done for them being sung, what does that do for that person? But build them up and edify them and encourage them. We don't just do this just because it's a fun thing to do. Oh, it's cool to have music. People like music. This is where many churches get their ecclesiology wrong. They think it's about the performance of worship. That's why we have to have the best musicians and, and have the light show. And, and you got the singers at the front dancing and moving back and forth in time. And Come on, man. That's not what the church is supposed to be doing. These are not performers up here. They're not here to entertain you. They're facilitating the singing of the saints. And it's an amazing thing that happens here. It's how we grow up together. It's how we edify one another. It's how we mature in Christ Jesus and are strengthened as a church so we can be thankful people and express our gratitude this way. Oh, there's much to say about that. All of it's focused on Christ. We are worshiping God together. We're saying the word of God. We're singing the word of God. We're hearing the word of God. We confess our sins and apply the gospel and the knowledge of the word of God to our life. And then what do we do? We observe the Lord's table in response to the word of God's grace. You know what the Lord's table is called? The Eucharist. Does that word sound familiar? Now you're going to have a Thanksgiving meal in a couple Thursdays. But this is our weekly Thanksgiving meal. It's a grace meal. For in our participation of it, what are we doing? But expressing our gratitude for God in the giving of his son. In the sacrifice he made on our behalf. And the blood that he spilled for the forgiveness of of our sins. It's a grace meal. We do this each and every week to shape a habit of gratitude in the heart of the people of God, to form a a thankful heart in us. So if you want to grow in thankfulness, 
be fully engaged in our corporate gatherings. Fully engaged. You're not a, a passive participant here. You're an active participant. That means you're singing, you're praying, you're meditating on the truths being presented. You're actively listening as the word of God is, is preached and taught with a view towards application in your life personally. For this is how we grow. So there's only one appropriate response to the breathtaking, awe-inspiring reality of the immeasurable grace of God shown us in Christ, and that is gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done for us and continues to do is one of the key indicators of Christian health and maturity. You want to know if you're maturing in Christ or you're a more thankful person? You want to know if you're not a baby Christian anymore? What does hearing about the grace of God do in you? When the gospels proclaim, what does that just stir up in you? And what wells up in your heart? Not gratitude. One of the things that happens to me in my own personal devotion with the Lord or study in Scripture, any time a passage, you guys probably don't think I'm a very sentimental guy. Maybe some of you do or not, but this is one of the things that gets me every time. As I'm reading God's Word or I'm listening to someone preach a message or something like that, and any mention of what Christ has done for us or the grace of God does, it moves my heart to worship and gratitude. This is why it's a healthy thing for us to remember what the past was like. We talked about that just recently, didn't we? Remember what he took us out of, what he delivered us from, what he's brought us into, what he's doing in us now. Our only response to that is overflowing and abundant gratitude. Continual God-directed thanksgiving should be bubbling up over in our lives as a response to God's grace. So may our corporate gatherings be effused with this unceasing gratitude flowing from the heart of the redeemed. And if you struggle today with gratitude, there's only one thing I can tell you to do. Look to Christ. What he has done for you. See him, savor him, Give yourself to him, believe him, and when you marvel at your Savior, you will magnify him with overflowing gratitude from the heart.